Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Worst Territory in the World. I am your host, Chris Goff. My co-host, Gabe Miller, still out on assignment. Now, as you know, this podcast is about what some may call the worst territory ever, the Central States Territory, and more specifically, Kansas City. Of course, we all love it because we grew up here. But we've had many interviews with some people in the past and some more modern takes, you know, the NWL, which is a promotion in Kansas City here in the last decade or so. But this week, we're going to talk to a guy that was sort of in the middle of all that. He's a very good friend of mine. You know him as Ace Steel. Ace has been a contributor to the WWE as a producer and an agent at the Performance Center and at live events. He, of course, moved on to a backstage role at AEW, being best friends with CM Punk. But he got his start in Chicago, and he moved to Missouri later on to get the tutelage of Harley Race. And he had a lot of stories being with Harley in Missouri. A lot of his memorable matches we'll talk about, and we'll talk about the ending of his career in-ring where he was with Metro Pro Wrestling, NWL, and others. But it was a great talk with Ace, and let's get to that interview right now. It's the worst territory. I am joined now by a longtime friend of mine and a man that has made his way around all levels of professional wrestling, not only just in the Central States area, but basically around the world. He's my friend Ace Steele. Ace, thanks for joining us. Hey, Chris, how are you doing on this fine afternoon? It's great. Baseball season's here. The Royals can lose 100 games, but it doesn't matter because it's a, it's a, you know, means summer's right around the corner, so I'm looking forward to it. Are you going to go to any uh, games this year down in Florida? Florida, I should. Steve Carino loves going to, uh, to games, and uh, I do love a good baseball game, and I try to get back to Chicago to go to see the Cubbies at sure. least once a year, and that's kind of fallen off the last couple of years pandemic kind of hose that but uh hoping maybe this year i could at least get up there for uh since my wife is a dirty bird cardinals fan she is uh, she is and i would like to get up there for a cubs cards game at some point so you never know we'll see we'll yeah talk. i'm surprised you married her considering she has a cardinals tattoo oh that tells you how cool she is otherwise because that thing is just not going away not her but the, the tattoo <laughs> Uh, we're talking about Lucy Mendez, who has been a has been a guest on here before, and she's a great friend of mine, and obviously Mrs. Ace Steel. But um, she is. Ace, this is a podcast, as you know about. It's called the Worst Territory in the World, about Kansas City mainly, but the Central States territory. And you're a guy who obviously spent a lot of time around here, but you're originally from Chicago. Before we make our way to the Kansas City Central States area. How did you get in? Because, of course, when I first met you, I knew all about the Second City Saints, and I knew your relationship with you know, Adam Pierce and, and Cole Cabana, CM Punk, the likes. And I knew that you mm-hmm. had some training, obviously, with Harley. But how did you first break in? So up in Chicago, we got everything, the melting pot. Uh, of, you know, I grew up in AWA, but when the big boom of the 80s, I got every promotion on our UHF stations. And WWF wasn't even the top for me it was nwa awa world class all that stuff anyway sure uh, um branching off from there the only thing i ever wanted to do and even my like young guns came out when i was in high school the movie with emilio estevez oh yeah and i can and i can recall having to do a paper 
on some subject and I was hot about that movie because it was awesome, you know, so I was all over it. And I remember this, this is how well known of a wrestling dork I was because I had done it at my homecoming shows in front of the homecoming crowd, like on a stage in the gym. Um, My teacher recommended, I, why don't you just do something on wrestling? And I was like, because I'm, I'm, I know that stuff. I'm bored. I want to do young guns. I want to do Billy the kid. She's like, just, just do wrestling. Like knowing I'd get a better grade. And I was like, all right, fine. So when I graduated in 91, I had looked up wrestling schools and I even looked up Stu Hart's. You had the Monster Factory. Uh, I can't think of anything else really except for Windy City Wrestling, which appeared on Sports Channel in Chicago. And you had your sports channels all around. We'd get stuff from Florida. So I would see some Florida wrestling in different offshoots. Um, but uh, Windy City Wrestling was on Sports Channel. Could have been on a UHF channel at some point while I was still in high school. So this seemed like a legitimate, just smaller promotion, you know, and even Heyman on his DVD talks about how he booked there and would bring in the bet, you know, the, the original Midnight Express work there, the Battle of the Bam Bams, Gordy and uh, uh, Bigelow and Brody work there. So the guy who ran that was a guy by the name of Sam Vicero, who was a worker. Um, his greatest claim to fame was teaming with Eli the Eliminator, who you may know from Texas Wrestling and UWF. Okay. Who, to, to me, was a legit big guy badass. In fact, the shows I work with him, this is the first time, uh, not that I wanted to catch a peek, but uh, he had his uh, his privates pierced. And I was like, who does that? Well, that's interesting. Our friend Michael Strider, I always tell him, like, let me know. He has a tattoo shop now. And I'm like, let me – and a piercing shop. So let me know when the first Prince Albert comes in because I want to know who gets one of those nowadays. But, yes, go on. <laughs> yeah, funny enough, I work for Prince Albert later in life. Right? <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, um, anyway, so they would run the amphitheater, which I actually think my first show – one of my first shows I'd seen as a kid, my dad – my parents were wrestling fans. And my dad had taken me, I believe, to the amphitheater when I was really little, probably five or six years old to see shows. So they ran the amphitheater a lot. They ran local shows around. And me and the high school buddy, Danny Dominion, who ended up running the wrestling school together, he was a year behind me in high school. And we would just follow these shows everywhere, the Windy City shows. Well, they had a school, oddly enough, um, that was not – it was kind of in an area that we hung out, uh, Harlem, Harlem Avenue in Irving Park. Um, was the cross streets and there was a giant mall over there, big shopping area. And uh, it, it had the Windy City School tucked behind some building just up the road a little bit. So for a kid who didn't drive, I didn't drive until I got to be probably about 20 years old, didn't need to because I had either someone had a car or I had the bus system. I had the CTA system or rode my bike. I yeah. could go to wrestling school, you know, ride the bus there. So when I got out of high school, my mom made me a deal. She's like, you need a backup. Um, you know, I need you to go to school and make sure you have a backup plan, which has served me well this my whole entire life, having that piece of paper. Um, and I'll let you go to wrestling school. So in 91, I broke in. It was about the summer. I went to the Windy City School and signed up. And uh, they had a host of guys there that were beyond Sam DeSero who ran it, who never really was a name in the business, but started with Dick the Bruiser down there. And um, people in Indiana and Chicago will know the name Paul Christie. Uh, Savage was over the Poffos were kind of around the Bruiser area and whoever else was down there doing stuff. But the offshoot of Chicago wrestling, um, I'm trying to think of the name who ran up there and it's maybe it was Bob Saber. Maybe I think was the name, something like that. Um, local like guys that were enhancement guys, uh, slash job guys that did job for AWA 
they were there helping train. So that's what exactly broke me in in 91. And uh, I was there for a couple of years until Dominion started. And then, uh, a oddly enough, a job that I had gotten with the Nielsen TV ratings, my shoot job, brought me down to Clearwater, Florida to train for three months. And after gathering, you know, whatever knowledge I needed for said job, my destination was not Chicago. I happened to find out I was going to Kansas City. So I moved to Kansas City in 93, or yes, late 93, 94. Okay. So at that point, let's see. So what was the, what was the scene like in Kansas City? Because I know you, ta- you, you brought up the Monster Factory, and I know you've told me a little bit about this before, because Billy Howard, who was a, a wrestler in, I, originally I believe he started in the AWA, but he made his home here in Kansas City, and he's still around. I love Billy Howard. He's a fun guy. He was on the documentary that I made about Kansas City wrestling, and he's a great dude. But oh, yeah. he had yes. an affiliation yes. with, uh, with the Monster Factory on the East Coast, right? He, um, what he had, I don't know his exact affiliation. One of the guys that ran it, um, he did train with Larry and the headbangers and like, apparently he trained out there. It was a Kansas city resident and Billy Howard somehow tied into that. So I'm going to guess that Billy, I don't, I really don't know who had the money or the stake in the thing. I think Billy did have something in it. I honestly never talked. I haven't seen him since the nineties. So it'd be great to sit and talk with him someday. Just, just to hear some stories, but yeah, Billy had a hand in it. Um, before I jumped to KC, I wanted to throw one thing out there is that although I trained at an independent organization, which again, I didn't know what the hell independent wrestling was because we were only to work for this windy city wrestling. When I went to Florida for job training, well, I didn't pay those guys money for it, so it was kind of written off. Yeah. You know, in Windy City Wrestling, I I was not 21 yet, so I couldn't go out and have a beer or do anything. I was 20 years old. I picked up a paper one day and saw there was wrestling at the Tampa Sportatorium, 106 North Albany. And I took my happy ass up there and saw people wrestling. And it wasn't the greatest thing, but it was something I could do. So I called for my boots and my gear and had it sent to me. And that's when I figured out you could wrestle anywhere. You were, you know, a hired gun. You'd go wherever you wanted. Like I had no idea that's how it worked. Sure. Cause I walked, I walked up to someone and said, Hey, I, I wrestled a little bit. I worked. Okay. Get your stuff, get in the ring. And I got in the ring. They're like, all right, you're booked. And so though I made no money, I occupied my time for a few months. So when we got to Kansas city, I was looking for something to do. Now I know, okay, I can go out there and work. There's other places. Like I couldn't stand dealing with promoters, not because I didn't like them. It's just something that I wasn't accustomed to doing. I just wanted to work and wrestle because I was not good, you know? But uh, yeah, the Monster Factory appears and I end up starting to wrestle local shows around Kansas City. So what were the, what were those like? I mean, who were your, uh, anyone of note that were running these shows at the time? I'm, obviously this is pre-Harley, so... What yeah. uh, pre Harley, you being involved with Harley anyway, he's still what working at WCW at that time, right? Yeah, I believe he was because uh, WCW would still come to town and run Memorial Hall. I actually went and watched a couple of house shows there and I saw Harley around and, uh, you know, got backstage once or twice and, you know, or we just watched the shows. But yeah, before Harley opened up a school, um, that was so I don't know, I can't remember exactly who ran shows. But on those shows, Pork Chop Cash was on some. Oh, yeah. UWF guy, that the Wild Thing Steve Ray guy, that guy was on it. He was on a couple. Bob Orton Jr. was on it. 
Um, Foley came in, Beaumont Club in Kansas City. I don't know if the Beaumont still existed. In Westport, it it does not. Ex- I mean, it's still there, but it's not the Beaumont Club anymore. In fact, I don't think anyone anything is there now. But people don't understand that the Beaumont Club is sort of a that's a that's a quietly. Uh, so it's a quiet wrestling auditorium in Kansas City history because no one really remembers it, but there was a ton of shows in there, including midget shows a lot. And, oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, I remember people talking because it just doesn't seem like a wrestling place because it's a bar and basically the sure. you're going to hit your head on a backdrop, right? I mean, the, right. <laughs> the ceiling's not very high. Right, right, right. But, yeah, work. I remember working with this first time I met Foley and I never paid attention to his gimmick and I remember him coming back and after he cut a promo on the ring, he's like, uh, did it did that sound all right and i just looked at him and said yeah you did your gimmick you did it uh, you know like i kind of like mimicked him and he goes you didn't listen to it and then i realized he was a smart guy <laughs> because of all the things he did to his body i couldn't fathom that there was a brain up there you would have and no idea behold, yeah there's yeah there's so many i mean well look at me i fall through you go to on youtube and you know ace steals death and i fall off the ladder through two tables like <laughs> there's something wrong with all of us but no he's, he was a very intelligent guy he was also the first guy i saw sell gimmicks like he did not just his eight by tens he was in between a wcw run so he's selling foam belts all kinds of wacky t-shirts and stuff like i i was just like wow this guy's got like a whole like box full of crap that he's selling you know he's an indie guy making a trying to make a couple bucks so um who else uh there were shows like i started working in kansas uh, Missouri had to be regulated just like you do now, or, or uh, you know, you had to have your license. And uh, I worked a couple of shows. I worked a show with Dick Murdoch on there and uh, Jeff Gaylord, who just recently passed. Yes. Uh, Chris Chris Hero has an interview with Jeff Gaylord. I didn't need to watch just to watch. Um, uh, who else? That, as far as I can remember, until I worked for Harley, when I saw more more of the local guys. Sure. Right. That used to work central states. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's just odd that you sh- you ended up in Kansas City, being uh, going from Chicago, Florida, then here. It just, it's. I mean, Mike George is a guy that he started in Florida and ended up in Kansas City, not necessarily you know uh, from here, but uh, right. But yeah, right, I don't right. like. So, what was your time like? I mean, did you like it here? You had never been here. Had did you have any kind of historical, uh, you know, thought on Kansas City at that point, being from Chicago? The well, as far as the city itself, I always laugh that it's called Kansas City because the downtown is is just night and day compared to Chicago downtown. They're just two different things. Very suburban think, Kansas City, yes. Yes. So now downtown, like the the, the uh, power light district, is a little more downtowny to me, and all that stuff. Yeah. That feels more with with the with the T-Mobile Arena down there. All that stuff. It's a little more of the downtown feel I get now. Back then. I didn't really feel it that way, but I did love Kansas city. Um, I love the town. Um, and this is not just cracking jokes. Like I still, I used to work. I started working in St. Louis when I was in Kansas city, because it was the, another place to get work. And I just always had a better fit in, you know, more, I was more affectionate towards Kansas city. St. Louis was never really my favorite place. Well, you know, it's the SDD capital of the world. So that's probably one. Is that, is that St. Louis or East St. Louis? Uh, well, it's all it's all it's all one city. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I got you. But right, uh, right, right. no, I, I like to throw shade at St. Louis. But um, no, but yeah, it's just interesting that you were there even before. I don't think a lot of people would know that you were there even before Harley started running. You know, because as far as I knew your history, I, I didn't really under, realize that you were there quite that early. So um, yeah, 
Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I can't, so it's pretty much the precursor to running a wrestling school because I was early 20s, knew I really wanted to wrestle, though I had a really good job, which allowed me to go anywhere on any weekend. You know, there was nothing that was running five days a week anymore. I could have fallen into USWA, which I think was the only territory left that really ran like a territory. Sure. But I don't know. It's I always call my my degree and the good jobs I've had as a blessing and a curse. The blessing that I always had something to fall back on and had a gig, but the the curse of I was never backed against the wall to fight for my dinner with that entity. You know, with with wrestling as my main focus, although it pretty much was everything took a backseat to wrestling for me. You know what I mean? Sure. No, I mean as as just knowing you as long as I have, I I know that that has always been a very important part of your life, and it is for most people that enjoy and get the bug. I mean, you sort of have to work the rest of your life around it, which sometimes can be difficult. So, Indeed. Oh no um, shit. <laughs> but what about uh, so so? Did you just stay in Kansas City all the way through uh, when you started working with Harley and meeting him, or did you uh, go back and forth to Chicago a lot? I would go back and forth to Chicago. I'd pop up to Milwaukee and work for uh, MAW up there, which is where I first would run in. Actually, Adam Pierce's first day was a day I wandered back to Chicago on a trip, and Danny and I went to our. Uh, what was one of our former trainers at Windy City, a guy named Sonny Rogers, had broken away from Windy City. And he was opening up a school, which is actually down Broadway and Lawrence with the two cross streets. And I say that because across the street is the Aragon Brawl Room, affectionately known, because it was a lot of concerts uh, were there, including ECW ran there at some point. But we, we saw a lot. Of, there was a lot of concerts there that were like hardcore heavy metal concerts and stuff like that. And... Pierce's first day, he says, was he came to, uh, I don't know if he signed up or how exactly it went. That's how bad my brain is, and I should know this. But he walked in, and Danny and I were helping put the ring up because all Danny and I wanted to do was get in the ring and work and just do something because we knew each other like the back of each other's hand, you know, like whatever. We know exactly what we're talking about, how to work each other, how to team, all that. Sure. Excuse me, all that good stuff. But, uh, no, I'd go back and forth. I'd work some local shots in Chicago. I'd work some things in St. Louis uh, for good old Steve Murphy, who runs a bar out there now in St. Louis. Next time I'm out there, I'll try to stop by. It's never really where I'm staying, but I, I would love to catch up and BS with him. That's called um, Murphy's work- on 21, right? Or so it's, it's, uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, there I believe you go. that's the name of his bar. Yeah. Steve, Steve Murphy, uh, a guy named Derek Stone, who's a local uh, local like Midwest guy. I've heard of him. Worked yeah. a lot of places. Yep. He, uh, like, I worked a lot with Stone in the early days. We would get booked in workplaces, and uh, uh, Bob Orton Jr. was brought in because he was local, and I and I have it, finally. I got it on, on DVD. I had a singles match with Bob Orton. It really opened my eyes to show me, like, you don't learn in this business. It's just like anything. To me, you're not, you'll never know everything about this business at all. If you think you know it all or you're, you're – you're just phenomenal at this and don't have to listen. You're a moron. Um, <clears throat> Bob Orton showed me so much in one match and then was gracious to me to give me to give me a match that was competitive instead of I had already actually worked him in a job match for the old uh, AWF, uh, Alperstein's AWF in Chicago. Coincidentally, I popped in on July 4th weekend and 
Hey, you want to make a hundred bucks? Sure. Put some tights on. I went and jobbed the Bob Orton. So was that, was that um, the AWF that had the rounds and it was, uh, the Sergeant Slaughter and was on TV for a little bit. I've seen DVDs. I, yep. That yep. was on like, in the, it, it was on channel yeah. 62 here, I believe. And it was on weekends oh, really? and it was, it was weird to see it. Cause it, you know, uh, being a WWF fan, there was a bunch of former WWF guys on there. So you actually, did you work at taping or what did they just have house shows? No, no legit. I was, I'm going to say, I'm, I don't know if it was Cicero Stadium, but it was in Cicero, Illinois, which is a, a southern, it's a south suburb of Chicago itself, just like half hour away from the city limits of that, um, or border town, I should say. And we just happened to be out there on July 4th. I was hanging out. Um, Danny couldn't wrestle because he was still at Windy City, but um, someone was like, hey, you want to make a hundred bucks? And I'm like, I'll go, you know, I'll make a hundred bucks while I'm in town doing nothing and just to wrestle. And another eye-opening experience, you know, just a job to a guy like that to you know where i'm a sponge learning stuff and then to a few years later fast forward to 97 where you know i got to work him, i think it's 97 or 98 had to be 97 i think that i worked him for steve murphy and just like i was enamored with bob orton i was like holy crap the smoothness of this guy it also let me know what i mean size difference i've never been tall uh so he was just a gigantic man to me he and is. he low he, 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 he is <laughs> and he was able to work and even it out enough where we made it he made it competitive with me i learned so much out of that i also learned you've heard the term policeman and i could tell right away that he could take me down tie me up and just ruin my world if he so choose <laughs> chooses to yeah. and he didn't he was great with me but i could feel it i was like okay because i amateur wrestled one year and i was terrible at it uh, I'd probably be a better amateur now being a pro wrestler, knowing how to just, you know, balance and things like that and, and leverage. But he just showed me so much in one match that I was like, okay, like things like that are the things that would keep me going, you know, like, okay, there's so much to learn. I'm getting there. I'm getting better. You know, my body's changing. I'm getting bigger. I'm small. I've like, again, I had to work to get the frame on me to get respect and not be just a skinny kid out of high school. But you always had the crazy A size, which actually that always helped you during your life, I'm sure, because when people see you and meet you, you look very intimidating. Um, I would say that if that evolved over time. I'm not going to say it. that started coming about <laughs> late '90s. Like I, I was doing legit. I loved Memphis wrestling. That's how I learned how to punch, emulating how they throw punches and what they do things. I always wanted to be a Memphis type wrestler. Sure. Um, I, I loved how they did things. I loved the personality, like, you know, and pro wrestlers. I just listened to, you know, I'm, I'm reading Steve Kern's book, but also was listening to a podcast he was doing an interview on and his advice, and, you know, you take it, all guys that train, like, I like to hear different trainers talk about their techniques. And he says, take five wrestlers that you like and take the best parts of them and kind of throw them into your character and, you know, see what works for you or something from them. And that's kind of what I was, you know, I'd love a Bret Hart or, a, or even the Freebirds. I'd love the flash of the Freebirds. Like I love stuff like that or a rock and roll gimmick, you know, you try all that stuff. And then eventually it starts settling into, I look like a maniac, you know, <laughs> you know, if I'm just walking around, yeah. but that also evolved as I got more, you know, put more muscle on my frame to be that person. You know, I had to, yeah, I had to build who this wrestler was. Sure. Sure. And, uh, I mean, yeah, everything you said there makes complete sense. I mean, going back to Bob Orton, I, um, yeah, it was, it's easy to see how 
Randy is so great because obviously he's a third generation of guy, but I think Bob Orton Jr. and he still wrestles for Herb Simmons and SICW and he, he him and I saw him and Tony Ellis won tag belts over there last week and it doesn't matter because like Bob Orton Jr. was so smooth and I think he's pretty underrated. Like he, he was, uh, you know, he's paired with Piper all those years, but I don't think he really gets the credit for how good he was and he was pretty ripped then, you know, like very lean, but uh, big. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he's so great. I actually just told somebody last last weekend uh, that they should uh, look up some Bob Orton because, excuse me, the person I was talking to had some size to him. I'm like, you've got size, and now you need to work on, you know, the way you deliver things, your strikes and things like that. I'm like, Bob Orton's a great guy to watch. You know, like I would I would point someone to Diviasi if they had a, a a large frame for you know the way he moves and grooves like when you start to emulate something and then make it your own, you know? Um, yeah. Orton was just, was great. And back then we didn't have the internet. So obviously I knew who Bob Orton was, but I didn't know he was in the, you know, I, I pull up a magazine. So I'm looking at Bob Orton stuff and lo and behold, he was in the, the match with Morocco uh, the day dynamite's back went out, you know? Oh, okay. And so he's, he's he was telling me with Morocco with, with Fuji, right? That's when, during that era. Yeah, he's in the ring with Dynamite, and he's like, I did a drop-down, turned my back, you know, just took the ref, and Morocco's supposed to put the knee up. He turns around, and Dynamite's on the on the ground, and I remember his words, he's like, ah, be back, be back, and uh, in Bob Orton voice, and he's like, damn, Don, what the hell did you do, you know, and he just, you know, Dynamite's back famously just went out. Wow. Like, it wasn't, it's not like he took a stiff blow, he just hit the ropes, and it went, you know, it just popped, and he was the, you know, essentially, that was the down, it started to be, you know, the the downslide for Dynamite's career. Well, he's one of the guys you obviously he 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 makes me you make me think of Dynamite Kid and and dare I say Chris Benoit, but you're sort of in that you're in that you're, you're the size, the intensity, the the way you move, the way you look. I mean, you you come from that line. I feel. Well, that's I mean, I, I dare say by design, but uh, yes, I guess so. Like, you know, broke my heart with all, obviously all this, all the stuff that would you idolize certain guys, but you know, the, the Benoit thing and you're like, what the hell do I, you know, holy yeah, shit. Like you was, can't fathom this. Who, who no one saw that. Con- I worked with Chris Benoit at WWF and he was uh, a sweetheart. I mean, he was a nice dude. Like, I mean, obviously and what he did was horrendous and he's a horrible person, I guess, but sure. uh, up oh, until yeah. that point, uh, no one would have called that. In fact, my friend Seth, when he was working up there and he wanted to quit multiple times before he finally did, uh, one of the reasons why he didn't is because he loved ben- working with Benoit and Eddie Guerrero so much just as a producer. So, um, so uh-huh. yes, I understand why you, you would emulate him and Dynamite Kid. I mean, when I was a young kid watching, you know, the early WrestleManias, and you see that the Bulldogs in their prime there, you're like, I mean, it's mm-hmm. hard not to look at Dynamite and be like, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he's jacked and he can move like, like just unbelievable, you know? Oh, indeed. And so, so yeah, as the years go on, and again, I've never been a big guy, so I'm looking at junior heavyweights, you know, when I'm turned on to uh, Malenko, Guerrero. Liger, um, you know, even watching Jerry Lynn and one, two, three kid, you know, cause they were on when I get home from high school, you know, I'm like, okay, this, this gives me hope, you know, they're not giant guys. And then I didn't even see a lot of, I didn't, actually didn't see Tiger mask and dynamite until midway in my career. Like I'd start catching tapes of that. You know, I will, you know, I didn't know about all the tape trading I could have been in on, you sure. know, when I was younger, cause I didn't subscribe to any, you know, 
the newsletters or it was, way you know, more, it was an underground thing, you know. I mean, like it wasn't so sure. damn prevalent as it is now. Right. Right. I have but, to bring uh, up. Yeah, well, I have to bring up ahead. the match that you had with Dominion with the second greatest tag team of all time, the Road Warriors, um, <laughs> because I know you bring that up as uh, yeah, obviously second to Demolition. I don't have to say that, but um, but no, you you had a match with uh, with the Road Warriors in Chicago. Was it in Chicago or was it in uh, was it in, uh, it was in uh, Minnesota? It was in La- Lafayette, uh, Indiana. Actually. I was in Indiana. Lafayette, okay. Indiana. Mm-hmm. I, um, you said that's one of your favorite matches, just because. I mean, even at the time, I'm sure, just because. I mean, what what a what a cool thing to do when you're a pretty young guy. Oh man, like I had started. So being in Chicago was great because we started getting to know the different promoters from around Minnesota. We you know once the school kicked off, and we had a relationship. You know, going to Minnesota and say working for General Adnan. You know, he promoted show, co-promoted with the the promotion there, which is now still Steel Domain. Um, but we'd work with all these promoters, and even you know, Dave Prazak hooked us up with a lot. Ung uh, Sung, well, now he's been they sing the praises for helping revolutionize women's wrestling. But uh, WWE should really give him a plaque because if he didn't keep Shimmer going, they wouldn't be able to grab a, just a buttload of women, you know, sure. to work for a division because he always loved women's wrestling. But Prazak would always have his hands in the cookie jar talking to people and stuff. And we got booked and I can't tell you the promoter. Um, well, wait, I think his name's Schwabby Joe. And that's, that's obviously a nickname, but Schwabby Joe had a two day run in Indiana. We were to get paid and work, put in a hotel. Basically the first time I think we were really felt like we were treated like, you know, real pro wrestlers, you know, we were booked, got good paydays, put in a hotel, you know, you work up and you woke up the next day, went to a gym. Then you had your show the next day. It was a taste of what we were all really wanting. And Adam Pierce was there. Prazak. Prazak managed Danny and I. And the first night of this two-night tour, the first night, I can't tell you who we worked, but like Buddy Landell's there. Um, Public Enemy's there. Just different people. And the Road Warriors are there. And Dominion went up to Hawk and said, hey, are you guys going to be here tomorrow? And he's like, yeah. You know, like... Um, why you know yeah we are because we worked indie wrestling we knew sometimes people know show you know what i mean but danny was like well we're supposed to we're supposed to work you tomorrow so he's like oh okay um and then they show up the next day and it was like the biggest what a fuck a freaking honor to work these guys they had just left new york they were it was after the problems that they had all had and all this stuff they were out of the contract and all that stuff um, this is 98, I believe. I think it's 98. And, uh, I can't remember. I have to look at the it, it was, I have it, it was it's 90, on YouTube. It was 97, it was 98 when they left. Cause that was after they came back and they were paired with Sonny and they got, uh, right, right, right. They went through several iterations of it, like draws got involved and all of that. And then it, you know, at that point, obviously Hawk was, his body was failing a little bit at that point, but yes, it was, it was 98. Okay, so 98, and I mean, they come out, we're doing the, uh, we're wearing the boas, we're doing a, a bit of a ripoff of a Jesse Ventura slash gimmick with Mardi Gras masks, and we were just trying to figure out what we were at, but it was working as a heel team, and uh, Iron Man hits, we're in the ring, I remember Dominion going, I, I don't know what, what to do, I was like, you get the hell out of the ring, with the Road Warriors hit the <laughs> ring, you leave or they beat you up, you know this. And so it was, they were great to us. They like, it was a, not maybe not even a 10 minute match, 
but the things they told it, like I dropped Animal with a punch. Like he does a spot where he goes outside, and I go on the floor and I punch him, and he goes down to his knees. And honestly, if you look back in the old eighties, not even Tully and Arn were able to usually drop him with a punch. That's cool. Like he he, he didn't go down. Like by this point, they realized you, if you don't sell, it doesn't work. But sure. uh, I I, I laugh because like I was in there with Animal and Hawk tags in, and he just grabs him and he goes ah, press. And I'm like, like I got a freaking choice. And he just, and I was so thin. He picked me up with it with ease, so it made him feel like, even though, even though he wasn't the giant road warrior from 1985 and '86 that I grew up watching and loved, he still he just put me overhead. And this ring we were working, it was so stiff, but he tossed me down, and I landed so flat and perfect. Like it was so fun. It was such a great test. When we came to the back, they were like, "You guys have such a great gimmick." We could have worked another, you know, ten minutes. We could have worked a twenty-minute match with you guys. Oh, cool! You guys, you know, yeah, it was a joy. Like Danny even did the pile driver spot with Hawk. That's because he called. He's like, "Can we do the pile driver spot where a pile driver you get up?" And he's like, "Yeah, let's do that." You know, <laughs> uh, they were just they were just fucking great, and it was it was a great test. You know, like again, each time I get to these things and it's a test, and you pass that test, and you learn, and you keep moving. Like, okay, I'm moving in the right direction, or. You know, you can't take that away from me. <laughs> no matter what my career, like I, I would sit back and I didn't make a million dollars, but you can't take away that I got you got to work these guys and get the respect of someone. They tell you not to beat your heroes, and I mean, I didn't go to their house and you know eat dinner. I just got to work with them, and they weren't dicks, and that was great. I mean, and that's I mean, and you know, a lot of times in wrestling, that's not the case that you don't want to meet them because you'll be disappointed. So that's cool that it worked out that yeah. way. I think, and Indeed. that's a perfect usage of it right there. Like a lot of people, you know, when I was running promotions, I loved bringing in the big names, and for the most part, I always tried to put them with someone that would they would either put over or make the other ones look good. Because if you put, I, I never understood the indie promotions when I was running that would have two big names fight each other in the card because it didn't make any sense. Right. I mean, it, that Agreed. this allowed you obviously and and danny to uh have an awesome match with like legends that obviously you grew up watching and i loved bringing in names like that because uh you know like i joked but when we brought in demolition which obviously even a different era than you're talking we're talking you know 15 20 years later after what you're talking about so demolition is in their i don't know 60s at that point but yeah uh, it didn't matter because the music hits they're they're there um, you put them over as much as you can if you're the opposing team. And at that time, it was a team here called the Commission. But it didn't matter because um, they were with them, obviously. But uh, right. it was a, it's just that is the perfect usage of them, in my opinion, to let uh, the guys that emulated them work them. Win or lose, it doesn't really matter. And if you get, like, you know, it's, it's harder and harder. It was becoming harder and harder for me to find some of the old legends that were wanting to be that way to help out like sort of like the road warriors did so that that's cool that that worked out that way oh yeah that was it was amazing experience amazing experience so how did you go from there uh i know there was several years went by there but uh how did you finally end up moving on to uh to mr harley races academy so my school began in 98 and i moved out of can moved back to chicago from kansas city because oddly enough there wasn't enough wrestling for me I was sick of the shoot job and I was like, I am uh, 25 and I, yeah, I was, I was 25 and 98. So I was looking, I was like, I, I need to do more. Now's the time. Now is the time. And I'm getting better. There's just not enough. I'm not doing enough and I'm not in a ring enough. The monster factory place had closed. There wasn't a ring to at least get in and train. 
again, I needed to excel and fine tune my skills, all this stuff. So Dominion and I ended up talking and the school came about. Um, it, primarily the school was, and when you talk about, I've only been in the business five years, but I knew I could train people the way I was trained exactly, but better because there were things that I learned over that short time of five years from working with different people and listening that we could teach other guys, mainly the schools for us. It was a place where we could go bump around and get better. And if people come along and then lo and behold, you did have people come like, you know, Pierce left where he was at, came with us. So that's when we really ran the roads and he was only in maybe a year or two. So he defected from where he was at, which I later find out got us tons of heat because they hated the fact that these young guys that don't know what the fuck they're doing, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly didn't know that. Like I didn't even, but I felt some of that around, but I didn't realize some of the people that helped train me were that way. I was like, well, I think about that now, which is why I don't really give them a lot of credit. Cause I'm like, thanks for breaking me in, but you were a dick later. So <laughs> sure. Um, um, not saying Windy City. Windy City, I actually end up went back and worked there under DeSero a little later. But, you know, no giant affinity for anything. Like, Windy City still existed a long time. I, look, that's um, a very but, similar story to most of my friends. Like, the people that actually broke them in, they don't even like giving them credit for because usually they were just a conduit to get your foot in the door, but didn't really do much for them. That's not, a, that's not an abnormal story in wrestling. Right, right. And anyone that ever, like Adam is so successful now, so anyone talks about me or you know him doing anything for him, they, they get kind of, oh, well, I did this for him. Like, he's praised you before. What is, why do you got your panties in a bunch? Are you surprised it's at okay. all at his success right now? No. Me neither. Not at all. Me neither. I thought, I no, thought in fact, I thought they should have had, I should, they, they should have hired him as a worker before they made him an on-air character. I thought they, I, you know, when he was, well, 100%. when he was wrestling, you had, uh, you had a match with him like last year in Kansas City in six, 15, 16, 15, I think it was. And, uh, and you know, even then, like, I, as I've gotten older, Ace, and I'm sure you feel this way too, you realize, uh, well, I did as a promoter, uh, wrestlers aren't really great until they've had a lot of the seasoning and they're like 35. I, that, now, yep. some are bef- – I, I that's not everybody, but there's a lot of people that just – you just get it more when you're older and for many reasons, experience of life, whatever it is, you know experience of life the world is different i had this conversation with terry taylor oh so many times the folks that today will never learn how to work hurt and that teaches you to work with limitations when you can do it's it's somewhat akin to the fact if i got to work a guy who's six five and i'm five eight um well there's only so many things i can do in this match so that gives me that puts me a, a bit in a box now i really got to think and be creative to make this match work and not just to cut the, you know, you got to chop the tree down somehow, but I don't always have to work his leg. That's, that's the easy thing to do. But anyway, if I got a guy the same size as me, well then shit, there's nothing we can't do. So now what do we do? You know, let's, we got to narrow it down. And that ties into so many different things and theories about this. But when you are hurt, I actually have a banged up knee a little bit. Um, I'm not going to drop any knee drops on anybody because that's going to hurt. So that also, it's, it doesn't hurt my mobility, but it takes away from me landing on those knees doing certain things. And when you, I've worked with a cracked rib before. And if you've ever had that, shoot, you've never stopped yourself sneezing until you've had a cracked rib. And yeah. I figured out I could roll, but not take bumps. So there's certain things only I can do. Um, you don't learn how to work until you have limitations. So you've 
you know, messed your ankle up and you still have three weeks to go on a Japanese tour um, till your shoulders blown out, but you got to tie it up till a guy like Tuco Scorpio messed up his, I think it was his bicep and he would just, he had a wrap on it. So you wouldn't notice, but I was like, what happened to your arm? And he's like, tore my bicep, but I had to keep working. Cause you know, back then you didn't have a contract, sure. you didn't work, you didn't get paid. So that old school mentality where there is some type of, uh, you know, you're brainwashed to think you got I mean, but the, when you twist your, an ankle and if it's not that bad, you can still figure out the, a way to wrestle and make the town, you sure. know? And, and, and I don't mean to sound like the guy in 1986 that made towns, but you know, in Japan you had to, like I taped it, you know, my ankle up every night and would go in there do what I could do. Next thing you know, I get bumped. I take the heat. Uh, I was able to get up, hit one move, make the tag, you know, and finish off the match. But guys, guys, girls don't have the opportunity to learn that way. So, yeah, when you become 35 years old, if you do doing it however long, like you realize you've worked in front of a lot of people and you know what works, what doesn't, hopefully for you or what to do, what not to do, when to do it, what not to do it, where your place on the card is. And, yeah, he should have added back to Adam. He should have been working there as a wrestler because he was damn good, um, which is why they hired him as a coach, you know. And then, but, and the fact that he just, you know, bumblefucked into a position <laughs> where he could, it's really what it was. We need someone to say this in the pandemic era, you know, Adam, go say that. And next thing you know, he's an on screen guy. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, he's, he's, uh, he's, He's been on TV a lot. More people know Adam Pierce now, obviously, than they ever have ever. And uh, and that's not saying he did it so much as an independent wrestler, as an NWA champion. I mean, going back to working hurt when he when he beat Cabana for the in his Seven Levels of Hate series uh, match four in Kansas City to win the NWA title in Kansas City for the first time in years. Uh, he had like a hundred and two three degree fever and he felt like garbage and he hates that match but i don't care because we all know the backstory and it was great but uh yeah 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 but he's obviously he's one of the guys that is always linked with you um and speaking of going back to the harley situation like i remember when i was in college at the university of missouri in the uh, late 90s um i would go to there was a company i don't know if you ever worked for midwest renegade wrestling but that yep. that was a company that I that was the first time I ever saw Scrap Iron Adam Pierce with his long yep. flowing locks, and uh, we were wrestling there at the same time. Okay, but, okay. but not together. But anyway, go on. Yeah, I, did, I just didn't. I did. I that's the first time I saw him working around these this, these parts, and I'm assuming he's still based out of Chicago at that point. I guess. Um, uh, yes, he was. Okay. Yeah, he was. And at that point, um, so when you were working at MRW, were you at Harley's yet? Were you working? Were you living in Kansas City? Where were you? No, so I was still I was Chicago. I'd okay. come down, so my job could take me to St. Louis for a week, and I would take the booking because I didn't have a lot of bookings in Chicago just yet. And I always liked keeping something to work away from everyone else of what I was doing because it also gave me just a different flavor with all this good stuff. And I would work, or I was in St. Louis for work, and they would, and I was like, "Hey, I can pick up a booking," or vice versa. Like if we're going here, you go to St. Louis this weekend. You want to stay there for the week? All right, I'll take the company pay. You know, you'll pay me to go. I don't have any trans. You know what I mean? Um, so when we opened the school and that happened, we trained a guy who initially wanted to manage but became a ref. And in Illinois, it was still uh, a commission state at that point. Yeah. And I don't know the particulars, but I knew this. When WWF came to town or NWA, WA, you name it, they had to have a state licensed ref 
work their show, and then the rest, I think, could be their own guys, but you at least have to have one. Okay. And Harley was going to run Monmouth, Illinois, which is right on the border by the Quad Cities. It's, like, right there. And because Matt Murphy knew of me, um, and the funny part is, you know, when Dave Marquez found Harley, who wasn't doing jack shit in wrestling anymore, found him and said, hey, I want to use you for this show. And then they're, uh, they're uh, oh, sorry, send the list. Again. Had a call in a line bugging me. I don't know how to block that. Um, when, uh, when he started World League, World Legion Wrestling, you're talking. World Legion, and then Dave got pushed out, and it just became Harley's entity. Like, I was already gone. Like, I already left Kansas City. So that's the funny part is, that, like, I finally leave because there wasn't enough wrestling, and then they, they appear. So Matt Murphy and I actually had some conversations uh, online on AOL. Like, he just reached out to me because he actually just wanted to steal the Boas gimmick that I was doing. I was like, I don't care. I didn't invent it, you know? <laughs> and uh, he knew of me because of Derek Stone, because Derek Stone helped train Matt Murphy. So anyway, Matt Murphy reaches out and says, hey, we've got two shows coming up, one in Illinois and one right on the other side of the, of the border. Um, I think it was in Iowa still. And it uh, could have been his hometown of Keokuk, not sure. But regardless, they needed to know if I had a ref. I said, yes, I do. He goes, would you want to work it? And I said, sure. That's what put me in front of Harley Race was doing that because I had, we had trained a guy that was a ref, a licensed ref in Illinois. And that was by the, the Iowa, I can't remember which shot was first, but whether it was Iowa, Illinois, but, uh, we went down there, worked the show and I worked a match with, uh, uh, future brother-in-law, superstar, Steve and Matt Murphy. And we did a six man and Harley saw me and he liked what he saw. Awesome. So then at that point, uh, how did that lead to you actually moving down? So at that point, was he still based? Was he in Eldon or was he somewhere yes. else? Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, I believe all of that World Legion, all that shit started in Springfield, Springfield. and then and it migrated to Eldon because Harley always had a spot at the lake and Eldon ended up being his spot where he opened the gym and had the school and all that stuff. Eldon, 5,000 people, you know, small small town and Harley liked me. I was, I was starting to get pretty jacked up and he looked at me and the way I was working. Um, he told me, I reminded him of Paul order. And I said, Holy shit. That's good. That's a hell of a compliment. Hell of a compliment. And I said, wow, that's a hell of a compliment. Uh, and, he, and I said, I take that as a hell of a compliment. He's like, you should. <laughs> and I said, okay, thank you. Well, I, I kind of thought to myself, he had the school down there and I really wanted to work for him. So I ended up taking my week of vacation that year and going down to rent a room uh, above the bar there in town. It's pretty open. You know, the town was pretty open. But I rented a room for the week and went and trained at Harley's and to make the connection. Because I was like, well, you know, you know, I called, made sure it was cool, came down, hung out with Matt Murphy. He hosted me. And uh, got would get in the ring and work, and then got to make a contact with Harley. Where at the end of the week, he's he was like, "Do you want to come do some shows?" And I said, "Yes, sir." And I started. That's that's what kicked off our relationship and rapport was me driving down to Chicago from Chicago doing shows. At that point, well, I mean, and and you were talking about meeting, you know, at this point, uh, Orton and 
Road Warriors and all these other people. Now here you are with the, the multi-time NWA champ. So I'm sure that was another level of like, wow, this is awesome. And plus you're being, you know, he's, he's throwing out uh, comparisons to Orndorff. So I think that would be pretty good for you right then. Oh, that was awesome. And I mean, to be fair, now I'm way more schooled, just like kind of like when I went to Japan and I had to go back and watch more Masawa Kabashi because I didn't watch all of that in the 90s. It's because um, I was watching the juniors from New Japan, but I had to go back and watch a lot of Harley. Like I do now, I'll still watch Harley stuff. There's so many great things from it. It's a different era, different time, but the things that you can pick up and still utilize are amazing. So I didn't know, I knew how respected he was. And obviously I respected him just who he was, but I only remember the King in WWF. So, sure. and again, I, w I wasn't a WWF fan. I'd seen the big shows, but that just wasn't my primary, you know. So, if anything, I probably saw more of him working as a manager with Vader than anything. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. But, uh, yeah, I got hooked up with Harley. And as time went on, um, after I'd worked for Ring of Honor and started getting a buzz and did some TNA stuff, um, Harley became my, he was the liaison, my agent, for going to Pro Wrestling Noah. Yeah, so, so, so Pro Wrestling I, Noah, for those who don't know, that's a that's a promotion in Japan. And um, did you always have, like what a lot of guys say nowadays, that they just want to go to wrestle in Japan? Did you have that burning desire to check that off your bucket list, or was that not really a thing until it became a reality? That became my only goal in wrestling because the territories went bye-bye. WWF seemed like just not attainable for me with my size. No matter how big or wide I could be, I was still short. And I looked towards, as we said earlier, the Benoits, the Guerreros, the Malinkos, that style, those people. So I started altering my style and wanting to do that and go to Japan. I, I thought Japan's the place for me, you know, and I'd gotten by this point, let's say I ended up moving down to Eldon, Missouri in 04. So I'd already worked Jerry Lynn once or twice. So I'd gotten to work with one of the premier freaking cruiserweights ever and the nicest guy in wrestling still to this day um i had gotten i saw that and i'm like this this is where i need to go japan is the place for me to you know make a crack and make some money and give this a good go so and that was courtesy of you know i got seen by the noah office working for pro wrestling iron working a show um because my old old manager ed schumann uh midwest great and everyone loves him from the nwa well you either love him or hate him I love him. He was my first manager in wrestling, and he was the the in-between for belts for Reggie Parks and selling them and getting the people, and he painted them, too. He did the fine-tuning and, mm. and paint work on them. Uh, he had done the belts for Pro Wrestling Noah, and they uh, when they came to the States, they wanted to know where to go to look at guys to bring Americans over because they didn't, he had no clue where to grab guys. And when... And that helped Modest, Mike Modest and Donovan Morgan get over. And when they had an opening on a show, they said, who would you give this slot to give an opportunity? They need to find their way here. Um, Danny and I were given that spot. And Danny and I were not friends anymore by this, by 04. When was it? 03. I, it was 02 or 03. Whenever we did the show in Pro Wrestling Iron, the school had closed. We were not close anymore. But we knew we could team and make an impression. And off of that is when I got chosen about a year later. And I went under Harley's uh, Harley's umbrella. 
with Harley Race now at this point, and he's your agent going to Noah. What, what did your relationship? I, I know through the years when I started booking you in you know the 2010s. I know at that point you had still would go work shows for Harley, especially big shows for him because you know on his camp weekends or whatever. Um, I guess before I even get to that, localizing it more to to the territory that I'm talking about. What did Harley mm-hmm. ever talk to you about Kansas City? Did he did he mention any of these old timers? Did you see any of the other guys around the Central States territory uh, during your time with Harley? What did he think about Kansas City? Because from all indications, he he obviously really liked it. Yeah, and actually, a key point I left out when you said I started talking to Harley, and, and I can't believe I, I left this out was the bottom line was I was told I was good and I knew what I was doing, but I never had I wasn't second generation. I didn't come from named people. You know what I mean? No one sure. broke me in. And, you know, Tracy Smothers was broken by Steve Kerr and Stan Lane. Like yeah. you can't, you know, and, and Stan Lane was broken by Ric Flair. Like you can't, <laughs> you got people on, with names behind them. I needed a name person to put their stamp on my work. And that's what Harley was for me. And I always strive, strive for the unsolicited compliment. Like I don't run up to you to, to like ask you, how did I do? How good was I? How sure. good was I? I want to hear the feedback. But to hear the praise was amazing for me, and that's what I got from Harley, which is why I turned set my sights to him. Shit, this guy likes me, um, and he likes what I do. Well, I'm gonna go try and make this my thing and my contact. And lo and behold, like that's like there's a famous story Pug tells about us uh, driving and him uh, throwing up in the car and blah 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 at Mid American Wrestling and. Harley, uh, you know, that's when I told Harley, I said, I want to go to Japan, Harley. He's like, I'm your guy. Said, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, and uh, but Harley, he he loved Central States. Um, he loved Kansas City. He I know he talked about Geigel a lot, just just loving Geigel. Um, he could recite even to the days where his mind was way gone. Uh, you could ask Harley how to get to St. Joe from Mexico, Missouri, and he'd give you some back road or, or tell you how to get to Hannibal. You know, you wouldn't take I-70 all the way over here, then go north once you cut here. He could tell you the back roads to get here, there, and everywhere. Sure. That was always in the back of his mind from being an old farm boy up from, was it, Quitman, Missouri up there. He he was just a Missouri. That's how he would say Missouri. In Missouri. And uh, he... he I don't know. He he had such a great love for that stuff. Like I even laughed that he had Madisic's book, and the Madisic had a great. It seemed like he had a great respect for Harley, but didn't like it when they took over St. Louis. Sure. And and to be fair, as much as I love Harley, and he is basically my wrestling dad, um, like his booking was just kind of it was always the same, always the same finish, always this, always that. So I don't know if that was just him. And even I'm looking at Ole Anderson's book right here. I think Ole says like the same thing. Like he just had a great respect for Harley, but he wasn't over the top of his booking. Um, he just just always loved Missouri. And, and then when he he treated his World League wrestling kind of as his territory again, it's like he never left. So he would get he wouldn't like it if you went and worked for some other promoter around there without his blessing. So I Um, I talked to Matt Murphy about this and others, like when I was running in like 2010, he still had that some, a small mindset like that. And I think Dan Geyer was talking to me about this. It's like, I didn't, 
you know, <laughs> working at WWF and then going to the indies was backwards because I didn't really understand the rules to indie wrestling when I first got into it. Like stuff like this, where I would have to worry about Harley Race being like and fur- furious with me because I'm trying to book <laughs> Matt Murphy or Steve Fender or somebody like that. And uh, right. and I think he was sort of past that. I mean, I'd already met him thankfully through the documentary I did, so he knew who I was. Um, I guess he knew my background to a degree, but I uh, I understand what you mean by that because uh, the other people that had promoted shows around these parts before me had said you better get his permission or he's going to be pissed, and I and I don't mm-hmm. want Harley Race pissed at me at any age, you know. Right? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, I went and worked for. I think it was it wasn't MRW anymore, but it was Big Ben running in St. Louis, and it was at a time where. Was that so gateway? here's the thing about. There you go. Anyway, here's the thing with me. I was Harley's guy, except I didn't or wasn't born and bred there. So there was a difference. I could go to Harley and say, Harley, um, even though I was his tag champ at the time, Harley, I can't work this date. I'm already booked, say, for Ring of Honor. I get paid a good chunk of change right there. And Harley would say, okay. And he would move on. Or I would say, Harley, I can squeeze. I would do it the right way. I'd say, Harley, I can squeeze some money out of this promoter. You mind if I take this show off? Not a problem. I can't argue with that. So when I went to Gateway, I didn't tell him. <laughs> and I worked. I was his tag champ at the time. And this was a, a total case of ask for forgiveness, never for permission here. That I went over and worked. I put. I lost the first night, won the second night, came back and told him that Monday what I did. I said, Harley, I had an opportunity to make some money, and I did. I came back with money from both nights. They put me up. This is what I did. I, I jobbed one night. Second night, I, I, I went over. I'm just letting you know I did it so you don't find out any other place. He looked at me and said, okay. And then he was not happy about it because sure. he told Steve, Steve or somebody, maybe Matt, I don't remember who it was, do you know what he did? You know, he worked for, you know. and But it, I don't know that it really got me heat, like, he either forgot about it or he appreciated that I told it to him up front because he never, never, never was mad at me for stuff like that if I tried, if I did it the right way. If he had a show and Matt Murphy was booked on it or Trevor, there was no freaking way they were going anywhere else but working for him. Sure. But because I came from somewhere else and he just always realized that I was from, you know, I was his guy and he protected me and would use me, but also. You know, because it, it was there was something something about that that I was always able to say, "Hey, I need to go do this," and there would be no heat on it. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I I think even Harley understood that he, you know, uh, there is still that unwritten thing with a lot of those older promoters that used to be workers. Where, yeah, like you said, if you didn't uh, come up through his school, if he didn't start you from scratch, like he didn't necessarily quote unquote own your rights at that point. I mean, I think yeah. uh, I think every promoter, even myself, is always like. You're always sort of like uh, your your confidence takes a hit when they go work other shows, you know, because you take it personally because you're so involved in it, you know. And I get it, totally understand. Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. And Harley, what is Harley have to prove at this point? You know, I mean, he's 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 
Harley. Uh, he's not he's not me or somebody else. So, uh, but yeah, at sure, the same sure. time, I still understand his thoughts on that. Um, I started booking you in I believe 2012, 13, something like that. Um, and uh, I had never met you before. I had known Adam Pierce for a while. Colt had been in, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. you know, I remember you showed up for. I think you showed up for the Colt Pierce match, and that might have been the first time I, I did. met you. Yeah. That is. You asked, I think you inquired about me working before that through somebody. I don't know if it was, I don't remember who it was through. Could have been Murphy kinda, or somebody, yeah. It could have been, any, yeah, it could have been anybody. I, I did know, I didn't know Lucy very well because she had started with Harley, but, um, you know, it could have been anybody. Um, at that point, obviously, it was just friends with Lucy, but I, I don't know who it was, but you had acquired, and at that point, I had my dips and doodles. Like, I only worked, I seemed to work somewhere once a year just because the itch would get me because I basically stopped in 08, 09, well, somewhere in there. That's when you were working, like, you had your big match at Regal. You were working these, like, one-offs with Harley every once in a while. And right. I'm like, oh, that, right. like, he's working. Let, let me get him over here. Yeah. 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 I was in obscurity, and then Regal was coming down for a camp, and, uh, he was like, they want me to work. Do you want to work? And like, who he asked me to, to wrestle him. And I said, well, who turns that down? Like, I'm going to have to get my fat ass in shape, you know? Yeah. And then he did the same thing to me the next year. And I said, man, you are killing me because <laughs> I had to get in ring shape. I wasn't working. So I had to. And oddly enough, he was using me for ring shape as well to like, because he would go on the first match. He would go on to work Danielson that year with the famous where he comes out to the man, the man's man, oh, yeah. whatever that was. Love that music. That was right after me. And then the next year was in uh, NXT when he worked Claudio. Like the year I wrestled him was his last his last year wrestling because then he had neck surgery not long after that. Wow. But he worked Claudio, and that was it. So, but I was kind of his warm up for that other stuff. Um, and he knew I could follow because I'd learned some of the British stuff with him and Dave Taylor. But yeah, I was I was bouncing around here and there a little bit, and at uh, I, I went up actually to see because i again was removed from wrestling so i would never see adam anywhere um and hadn't run into him at all and came up to watch that match and I, yeah that's the first time i met you like yay hey chris hey chris you ever want to work nope see ya <laughs> it was that you were that cordial yes um i think so uh no but anyway you ended up working uh and we became good friends and uh i know that you enjoyed uh the run that i've never put on youtube or edited the matches but that was like 2015 16 you had a bunch of like really fun matches there with with friends that we used to both have friends you know friendships with like the jeremy wyatt's and the michael striders of the world but then also oh the ricky mortons and you got you got involved with jim yes. Cornette. like that was uh yes. it really helped me obviously to have an ace steel and other people but you were one of the main guys that i enjoyed having you uh, around because you know what the hell you're doing because once again you're like over 35 at that point so it was uh, you were really good <laughs> I and i you knew what the hell you were doing it doesn't matter ring shape as much as you know the psychology of it in my opinion so um you knew what to do and you were you were always in shape you know as far as a wrestler i mean i know you're the wrestlers are their worst enemies. Or no one's happy with how they look. I get it, but uh, you were always, you were a great asset to that company, and I enjoyed putting you with all those guys, and we had a lot of fun. We did. Well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I worked Wyatt, who uh, I, I think it was 2014. Okay. I worked I worked Wyatt, and he was the, the match itself gave me you know like made me smile because I was like oh gosh someone that can wrestle. And because I was, 
so go back to let's say 2004 i started going to japan in 03 and your matches are structured a certain way over there and it's different than american style but you had to remember everything because there's a communication barrier so as time goes on that's when you know your working ring of honor and as you get better you start to have to remember a lot more of the match or what's going to happen because you start putting on elaborate finishes and that ties into the rest of the match now i would always have a match where there was a lot of improv at the beginning and always improv throughout the match but the fact that you had to string together a lot of things like actually just started getting to me i was like i can't i can't stand trying to remember too much shit. like it's over for me so when i wrestled uh, jeremy um I didn't want to, you know, call a bunch of things. And that goes into my last run with World League Wrestling when Harley was still of sound mind and body. I went over there to work, and then I figured out that locker room is not the same anymore. And I just kind of got a Debbie Downer on that. But that was the last year Adam wrestled before he became the coach of the PC and then went on to where he's at now um, with WWE. But 2015, I start, I think, metro is that when metro closed it was going to open again and closed how did that go oh it was weird i had like because the the television station i worked for was called metro sports and they had like they made me do like a little bit of a sabbatical for a while because i couldn't they were allowing me to uh do these wrestling shows and then edit the shows on my that was like my part of my job which was great and uh they wouldn't let me do that for a while so i had to take a few I i took a handful of months off then we came back and uh we started at that point i had run a lot of indie shows and i wanted to have more fun just not necessarily i I wasn't necessarily worried about i didn't want to lose money but i wanted to uh bring in some names and have fun with the guys i know could have good matches with and you strider all those guys we had you know uh, i i I loved uh, being able to have a match with you and ricky morton That, that was fun and that was the after I believe that was 2015 when I got to have Morton because you had asked me, you started Metro pro started up again. You inquired if I wanted to wrestle and I said, only if it's fun, I don't know. And then you had to get the title off ACH. So I worked ACH and that was fun. I had fun with that. And then you were like, well, book you know, I'm like, you asked for my bucket list of people (laughs) and the, there isn't many people I've worked that, you know, I know you tried to get Lawler for me. Because I'd never work Lawler, um, and that probably won't happen ever now. Um, uh, Lawler, Ricky Morton wouldn't hook that up, so that's his fault. Sure, sure. And I had one other, you know, JJ down in uh, down in Arkansas. There was another possible link to that. That didn't happen, but you were able to get Ricky Morton, and I was like, "Holy shit!" (laughs) I get the work. And what people don't understand is, like back in the day, like you looked at Ricky Morton against the Road Warriors. Like, I don't think they ever worked, but just pitting those people against each other. Well, those guys got to be small. Ricky Morton is not a small man. He's no. not a small dude. Different era. Good, yeah. He was small in era. his era. Good, <laughs> right, right. Especially compared to now. Sure. Um, uh, but I saw, got up on Ricky Morton. Like, holy shit. And Morton had never heard of me. Norton, he'd never heard of me. Um, so, like, he even locked up with me just to see how stiff I'd be. But, you know, and I'm not one to ever, I've never done this, gone up to tell them all the things I've done and who I know and what I do. I'd rather just have them figure it out in the ring, you know? I'm either the shits or not. And we just basically had to finish and went and called the rest. And I loved it. I love it. It's nothing like, Adam's got a great one on video where he's in Tennessee and Morton's getting some juice and they're 
they're just going back and forth. But Adam's also a bigger dude, and he probably knew Adam more because he was working more of the independents back then. But sure. regardless, I had such an awesome experience. We have the Cornette promo, and that was another thing. You were like, I need a guy who could do, like you said, I need a utility guy. I need a guy that can work a main event when I need it. And I also need a guy just to be a good spot on the show. And um, there was a need for me to be in a match with, with Wyatt. And the sole purpose of me being there, I wanted to take a, I wanted to take a racket shot. <laughs> That's all I fucking wanted. Sure. Footage lost, I guess. I don't uh, know. Uh, you know, that was probably, um, and I'm, I've known Jim Cornette since 97. And uh, he was great. I was, he was gracious enough to come in and drive in with uh, Black Betty and come in to have a sandwich at Arthur Bryant's and come do that show. And r- literally, that was about his last year of doing that stuff because then he became a ah. podcasting mogul and he doesn't have to leave his house anymore. So uh, I don't blame him. Yeah. But. Good for him. Yeah, and I worked with him at Ring of Honor um, when he had come in just for shots. Like, I first met him in Dayton, Ohio, I think it was. I remember the venue because I was so enamored. He was just cool to talk. You know, he just wanted to sit and talk. And there wasn't a lot of shoot interviews out about a lot of things. Uh-huh. But I'm still – I'm fascinated with guys like Eddie Gilbert, you know. Um, just, you know especially guys there's a lot of folklore about because they're gone. They're not here Passed to Passed away themselves. early, the legends, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, you know, his mind and all this stuff, and Lawler was telling me about the loops and how, you know, the whole Memphis territory and how Eddie Gilbert was a Lawler clone. He loved Lawler. And just got to be Cornette, and then we started doing, Gabe Sapolsky booked me when the Saints stopped and Punk went to WWF. Um, he found a, a use for me in the CZW versus ROH feud because I was a good brawler. I am a good brawler. Yeah. And, uh we, I had a lot to do with Cornette through that, so that was fun. Um, but, yeah, sorry, I digress. No, no, I, I, I enjoy talking about the memory. So in case no one knows, Metro Pro Wrestling was an independent promotion from, like, 2010 to 2016 in Kansas City, and we had a lot of fun doing that, and Ace was a big part of that. But then, Ace, we moved to the final chapter of uh, the Kansas City stuff I'm going to talk to you today, which was the NWL, which we talked mm-hmm. with Lucy about this, but uh, there's a whole other level of – what an independent promotion could become in the Midwest anyway, because I, you know, I didn't have a lot of uh, experience with other big indies on the East coast or whatever, but NWL comes around and I I wanted you to be a part of it in some form or fashion. And um, that's when, you know, you, you founded the foundation with you and Strider and Wyatt and Lucy (laughs) and the very Mm -hmm. first foundation in wrestling, none of this uh, rip off garbage they have out there, but uh, yeah, but, but the NWL, what, what was your just thoughts about that, that time of your wrestling career, just that company? Um, Going back to the beginning, I was going to stop wrestling, as I always do, in 2016, and just lay it off, just just back out. Like at the time, life was different for me, and I just wanted to back out of it. There was nothing I wanted to do on a regular basis. I couldn't because of the job I had at the time. And you guys actually offered me a training position at the school, and I couldn't accept that. Um, but fast forward to, gosh, almost the it was almost a year after that. I think to the day, not to the day, but. It was August. It was in August. We had the ballpark show for Metro Pro, where I uh, had the, the the street fight with Tommy Dreamer, Dreamer all around yeah. the place. Yeah, and that's where it was first proposed to me about the whole NWL thing. And now you had already told me about Major coming into the picture and all these different things. And I had met with Major and talked about a consulting role, and it, that just never that part of it never took off the consulting thing. 
um, I had torn my bicep that year and, and it's always funny how they're like, well, you can maybe work out. What do you have an injury? At least for me, you can work out here in about a month. And then, and then all of a sudden I got mad. I was like, what do you mean? I can't work out because you took away a choice of mine. <laughs> it wasn't like I was in great shape when I started this thing. My bicep snapped, uh, because some kid decided to play Shawn Michaels in the ring and rear his head back while my arm, my hand was on his head. I remember and that. my bicep snapped. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to repair that. Well, my timetable for repair, for getting repaired, ended up being, I think it was August I was of 2017 that I was finally cleared. And I had come up to watch an NWL show just to kind of clear my head and and uh, just, you know, see the world. And I hadn't been up to KC in a while. And again, KC has become kind of like my second home. I say second home, Chicago's hometown. Home for me is Orlando, but you understand what I say when I say that. Sure. Um, it's one it's one of my favorite cities. It's it's a it's a home away from home for sure. And I watched the show and I saw the video screens and I saw the production going on and I was just I was hooked. I was like, there's the bug again. You know, I was like, I want to do this. I wanna do this. So it that was that was it. And uh, the for, the foundation started, and I actually remember talking to you like, maybe I can come in and just put people over. Maybe I can be a ref. And you're like, you're not doing that, you know. Like, but to be honest with you, I thought we were just gonna help out the newer guys. When what was needed was to help out the newer guys, but help steer the ship. And I say that as humbly as possible. But a lot of the guys picked were newer guys that didn't have a clue of how to quite do that yet. Sure. Um, and, you know, and I, I don't think I'm knocking anybody by saying there's certain ways to lead matches and lead a show and do stuff or your presence. And just to, you know, I had to slow down Fitchett and Vega from the stuff they did. And they knew that, but they were cool with that because we, our style was to, at least my style, being that age at that point was to, I still wanted to do some, some cool stuff but there's no reason to run around like crazy. And it's a wrestling match. Like to me, that's the word that's on the marquee. So let's, let's adhere to that a little bit here. And uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I don't, I mean, we were on local TV. I know St. Louis didn't ever kick off, but at the time I lived in Springfield, Missouri, it ended up being on in Springfield. It was on a Joplin, uh, Kansas city TV. I don't know where else the, the scope was, but you were running, running shows so much that it was like it wasn't a five six day a week territory but was the closest thing because of the local television we had to being a tiny little like modern day territory dare i say is the way i felt yeah it was and we were in gulf shores we were on a bunch we we started getting our show out distributed but you know it came and went as fast as it, it went as fast as it came almost but uh the the fun that we all had and it, i always just tell people I, it was some of the best times of my life just because i got to hang out with some friends do wrestling sure. again as a full-time job and got to see everybody some more so it was great really um but, oh it was it was a blast yeah i talked to marty bell the other day she told me she saw you down and uh you're doing dave marquez's latest project which is derby city wrestling and i know she's a part of that but every time here's the thing about uh nwl people now ace and i know you have this with multiple other companies but people that took part in nwl and that was their first big company they're all we're all sort of uh 
you know, like brothers in arms, sisters in arms from that, you know, you're in the same war together in the wrestling business. So like we're all mm -hmm. connected. So it's like when I see these people, Dag Draper or, you know, anyone that's like gone out and I don't see them very often and you pick up the phone and you talk to them and it's like we, we can all relate to, you know, even though it was only a couple of years, really, uh, everything that went down was so intense that it's very memorable. Oh, for sure. And I mean, if you think about what did I work there, six months? Um, I knew a lot of the KC people, but in six months, these people that I got to know, and including foundation people, like who I wasn't particularly close to. Yeah. I was close to you more than anything. Um, but I was close to you more than anything. But when I came into work, like we had such a good crew, like that locker room, I'll say it again, the guy, the guys and girls that were there, like throughout towards the end, up into, up until the opening, like I was supposed to work Dr. Tom in a street fight. Like this, it was, we were having such a fun time and we had such a strong crew that it was, that, that was the thing that was, you know, so disheartening about it. But as far as the experience goes, if you told me I was only going to be able to do this for six months again, I'd do it all over again because oh, yeah. it was such a blast. I loved the people I worked with, you know, not everybody loves everybody, but you know, on the whole, we all like kind of look at each other like, oh man, like, you know, we were in the trenches for this thing and we produced some good stuff, you know, for the short run that we had, like it was so fun and such. And for those that had not, who had not experienced things like I know probably myself and Marty and well, obviously you, but as far as like wrestlers, besides the one that would come, the ones you would bring in, uh -huh. no one else really got to experience a major promotion in any way, shape or form. And this was a great way to like, you know, kind of get them moving along, you know, to where Dak went off and did some ring of honor and he's doing NWA and moonshine's done, you know, plenty of different things. Like everybody's working around different places. Marty's popping up all over again, you know, just, you know, Lucy's refing now, like there's still so much we gain from that experience. It's just, you know, there's people that still especially in the camaraderie there's people that still use the gimmicks you know like i bring up uh you know like uh gil rogers listens to this podcast and he's a guy he continues to be gil rogers everywhere else that was an nwl gimmick you know roscoe leach uh you know uh our friend barry he goes by flex zerba yes. when he still works you know yes. it's all and niles plonk hey he still goes by that there's so many gimmicks and like things that came out of it that uh for those who really wanted to embrace it and have fun with it as we've talked about several times in the show you could have you could really work in your advantage if you had an open mind and wanted to you know use as much as you could out of it but you know obviously we know the ones that didn't want to do that and it totally you know, it just backfired on them and me because it, they didn't really buy in but the ones that did i thought uh you know barring the final uh how it ended which was pretty abrupt but uh, other than that right. the entire thing was Really cool, and what I, what I think is cool is like time has helped everyone's sort of opinion on NWL that sort of had some most of the people had a negative opinion on it because they uh, now look back on it with fondness because, you know, again, like you said, young guys never really had a situation like this. You don't really know what you have. Uh, when you're in your 20s, you know, and your your ego's big, you want to go around the world, whatever, and then, you know, that's why Dak Draper was always a, a, a big you know, he was always, he'd bought in because he had gone through NXT, you know, he was in the, some of the first iterations of NXT. So he had sort of understood, 
hey, this isn't like, this doesn't grow on trees, you know, like embrace it, appreciate it. And he did. Right. And right. people like you did too. I mean, that's, that's, but that's again, experience. And I think it's cool that people can look back and now they say like, you know, that was really cool. And I, maybe I didn't really embrace it as much as I should have. Yeah. And I mean, I have, we've talked about this on our own many a time. And actually I had this feeling once upon a time, and this is for, if any young worker ever hears this and it resonates with you or you know me, I always wanted the, the name A Steel came because I just thought of it in high school. It's the most generic wrestling name ever, um, uh, and I, I still to this day like I want to put a hood on or and wrestle, and or whatever. And they're like, no, no, we want you to wrestle as Ace. And I'm like, but I don't want to be A Steel. Uh, <laughs> I want to put a mask on and be someone else. Like I wish when I was in WWE developmental, they changed my fucking name. I went, I did, I wanted them to, and they didn't. Like I wanted a new identity. And at that point I realized, cause I was in my mid thirties when I ended up getting hired in developmental, like, you know, a day late dollar short. in in my case, like it wasn't the fucking time, but I had worked shows for a guy who ran like, who ran shows and gave me different names at like a different point, but he had name workers on there like Jerry Lawler. Like I worked Brian Christopher, Sergeant Slaughter would be on there. Mm-hmm. And those guys worked for the Fed at the time. And I was like, no, I've got to be me. I've got to have my gimmick on so they can see me. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your name's fucking, uh, you know, I just say Joe Blow. Like that's not very original, but whatever the hell your name is does not matter. They look at you and go, wow, look at that kid work. I bet we could do something with him. It doesn't matter who you are, or what your name is. You got the look. And you could work or you can work enough where we can put you in said character or ability, whatever, you know, like uh, along the same mind lines of we're going to take Kane, we're going to take Glenn Jacobs and make him Isaac Yankum. And then now we're going to make him Kane. Like, oh, I have this idea that, that he fits in perfect for this. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that NWL just wanted to give someone a different name and try something else. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. You're, you could break back out and be your indie name guy and go out and work all the shows and be whoever you are. In fact, at the time, you didn't care if they worked under their old names anywhere. You just didn't work under that name at NWL. And a lot of people had problems with that. There's people that had gear for, made for them that were stupidly just left <laughs> and then turned into other gear. Like, what's wrong with you? Some place made you gear and bought you boots and you decided to leave because you didn't like the gimmick. Like, you really have something wrong up top to not see the forest through the trees with this thing. Who cares? You're an act. You're basically acting at this point. Sure. Not everybody walks into their first acting part and gets to say, well, I, you know, I don't want to be called fucking, you know, Ray Liotta doesn't say I don't want to be called Henry Hill. Sure. You know, I mean, that's a very extreme example. No, I, I completely agree. I've, I've gone on tirades about this left and right. I mean, I just don't understand, uh, especially the full-timers that, you know, NWL was the first independent company that I know of that for uh, more than, a, you know, a cup of coffee, it was there for two years almost. People had full-time jobs, had benefits, had uh, they could pick to have their housing paid for based on how they structured their salary or whatever. But, I mean, this is a company thing that doesn't exist. I mean, even ADW doesn't do that to their, you know, uh, a lot of their guys. I mean, we were comparable right. paying to NXT at the time. Uh, and, you know, you're in the Midwest and you could basically go home a lot because a lot of the people were from around here. But uh, it was – and the only thing that they asked is that here we want a new gimmick under this company. 
company. Some of the part-timers, hey, we want you to have a gimmick just here, and you can go wrestle everywhere else, as, like you said, Joe Blow or whatever. And, uh, you know, some people set a problem with that. But that's just that's uh, immaturity, inexperience, not understanding, like force from the trees, like you said. So, you know, at the time it infuriated me, but I, I get it now as I get older. Yeah, I mean, it's it should hopefully be a lesson for these people. Like, look at what you missed out on. Look at, like... <laughs> If you just work, I, I've seen this like with Derby City even last week. Like some guys ran in and did an angle at the end of a match. Like I, I don't know if it was a match that didn't happen or supposed to happen. But when you work television, you don't just go into business for yourself and do something out of the box. Like you, it, structure, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Is like when you work with no structure, you don't ever learn structure when the structure is implemented to you, implemented in your game plan. Like you get all wonky and it's messed up. Like <laughs> this business works better with a, just a little bit of structure, like keep it in your times and letting people in, you know, what's going to happen next. Like if you were booked to come out and you're still making the same payday, if you're booked to come out and lose in two minutes or one minute, because it's the angle you're doing, realize the beauty of the angle and the pop you're going to get. when you came out and got, walloped and one two three oh my god like you're being a utility and a team player like it's it's a different world you know like uh, it's you just got to look at the bigger scope of things if you didn't work a 10 or 12 minute match or you know honestly for anyone working 20 minute matches anymore and i used to do a lot of them because when i worked for harley he'd always give me time knew i could fill the time 15 20 minutes i even went 25 minutes once once with punk and eldon but um, and we had the people, but to be honest with you, you can get everything done in t- 10 to 12 minutes and it takes forever to learn that, Hey, I can get this done. You know, but you don't need to do everything in the book just because you can, doesn't mean you do. And like a lot of, a lot of guys, like, again, they don't see the forest of the trees, especially with something like that with gimmicks given, I didn't mean to get you back on a tirade, but the beauty of that place was it was such a learning ground for doing some TV doing character work and just like we had a lot of fun sure. that's mostly why we all like each other we're still connected because we all had a freaking blast i still talk to you know barry quite a bit um you know we we got to know each other more from doing this and we only worked once i think but it was the fact you see these people or i got to be closer with uh niles plonk uh with craig um just you know just because you see these people and you're it's such a joy to like create this thing the thing that I enjoy the most that you brought to the NWL was when you were hitting the head with the trash can and it became a a, <laughs> a, a, a GIF, an animated GIF, GIF, whatever you call it. Yes, uh, yes. That is, yeah. uh, that, so I, the, I know those guys looked up to you, Vega and Fitchett, and uh, when you guys had your street fight, that was <laughs> a classic spot that everyone in the NWL knows exactly what it is, but. Oh, I'm so proud of that. I like I still am, but I think the street fight holds up. Like we, oh, we put does. a lot into that. Yeah. We, we put a lot into that. Like in fact, last year I worked Fitchett in AAW because he needed an opponent. We ended up having our own street fight, a little reminiscent of that, where I actually dunked him with a garbage can just on my own, <laughs> you know, Easter egg. And uh, I was the heel well, I was the heel the last time. I was supposed to, yeah, no, I was the heel this time too. But I there was something in Fitchett to go back to say and I worked Vega last year too. And he's come along so much as a wrestler, like the maturity as a wrestler in the ring. Um, and then to wrestle Fitchett to like to see something emerge on him. He's out with an injury now, but or on the way back on his way back from it. But to see these guys mature, like I'm like, you know, 
it's the part of me that wanted to be a coach and I am a full-time coach Mm -hmm. to work with these guys and see that, man, I left, I, I, I left not my, not my fingerprints on them exactly, but I at least left them in something in a better place to help them along. Like hopefully us working together, put something in their head that they take along with them. Like when I work with a guy who maybe isn't a super known guy, but left me with something or with Tracy Smothers grabbed me and he grabbed all of us at the steel domain. And we worked with them. Tracy Smothers like meant so much to us because he was one of the first stars that would work with us and back and forth. Even a guy like Sabu, when I worked with him, there's so many things I learned from him. And you're like, Sabu is just a crazy garbage wrestler. He is not. He's got he's got such a mind for the business. He does some crazy shit, just again like Mick Foley, but it's very calculated. It's controlled chaos in a lot of ways. I mean, and I hope with guys like that or whoever I worked, I worked with Dak once. Like, you know, like things. There's lessons you take, and I hope there's things that I was able to give. And you, you know, it's it's the full circle thing. Like I learned so much. I hope what I have, and again, I'm not a know-it-all, but things I've gotten to take, and now I'm definitely an old-timer here. Um, I never thought I'd say that, but at 50 years old, like, even at this point, like, the the Gills guys some nuggets, you know? Sure. I think, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I say this about you, Dr. Tom. Uh, it's the guy, and this is in every sport, baseball's like this too. You know, Harley Race is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Is he the greatest trainer slash teacher? I don't know, because a lot of those times those guys are purely, you know, they're purely just great at, because naturally, and it's hard for them to teach, you know, some guy everything that you know. And so it becomes a, it becomes a point to where, um, you know, guys like you, Dr. Tom, uh, and others that I, I can go on a list for a while, but Rip Rogers, you know, there's guys like that, that train and they weren't necessarily the biggest stars in the world, but they had to endure a lot more during their entire career. So they, they teach better. And I think that's what makes you such a good teacher. Oh, well, I appreciate that. And yeah, you're right. Like I was talking to Rip this past weekend. I had never formally, I crossed paths with him in, in uh, OVW way back in 07, but I, I didn't sit and talk with him or bug him. And we just sat and told stories. I listened mainly to him tell stories because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to hear some analogies. I wanted to hear some nuggets that I could take with me. And uh, same always with Dr. Tom, who's great. Like, well, I appreciate that compliment. By the way, before I let you go, uh, we, you brought up Tracy Smother, and I wanted to bring this up because do you remember, were you at the Metro show when he cut the 45-minute promo? Yes, I have a little bit of footage of him coming out, I think, uh, actually on my phone that I was recording him. Oh, my God. And sat there in horror, like, like, oh, why didn't you give Tracy a time limit? <laughs> so... Uh, for anyone that didn't get to go to that show, Tracy Smothers was brought into a Metro Pro show. It was like 2015. And I love Tr- Tracy Smothers. God rest, you know, rest in peace. He was an awesome dude. And he was so cool. And like you said, like he, he could, he's a known tough guy, but he didn't act that way at all. And he was a big giver. And I, I miss the dude immensely because I enjoyed talking to him on the phone and just meeting him. But when he came in, I, we didn't give him a time limit. And he just, he gave me this thing where he's like, well, you know, Chris, I haven't had a match for a while so i'm pretty rusty so i'm gonna go out there and you know whatever so he goes out there and he and he cuts a promo and he has two guys that are sort of uh workers from wherever and he, they were his uh his sons and he went out there and he cut an opening promo before he was gonna have a match and the match wasn't supposed to be more than like 
five, ten minutes, not nothing, you know. It was more just him going to go cutting a heel promo and stuff. And he goes out there, and it was the only time I ever saw anyone leave the matches because they were infuriated with how bored they were because he was cutting a 45-minute promo before the match. <laughs> and the match was literally like three moves, and it was over. And, uh, yeah, but it was very memorable, and I miss Tracy Smothers. I do miss Tracy Smothers. Last time I saw him was after NWL folded in uh, 2018 and Brian Thompson ran a show at the Speedway in Lebanon. And uh, I went up there and Tracy was a special guest, I think just because he loved Tracy too. And I wrestled quickly, got the hell out. And Lucy knew, cause I, I, I would always talk up Tracy so much that I just spent the night talking to Tracy, just him about the Armstrongs. Um, if you know me intimately, you know, Brad Armstrong is my favorite, one of my favorite wrestlers. So I'm talking about Brad um, and I'm, you know, I'm buddies with Scott Armstrong. So, but I would talk to him about that. He was just telling me great stories, but just an overall, like a great last time to see him, you know, to have a great memory, but yeah, he helped out. So, and he was on Facebook a lot. He was on Facebook for a while active, but it was actually him and he would see things that I'd post and he would just, you know, say things like, love you guys. I'm like, you meant so much to us at steel domain everyone that would travel around and get to work with them like and that was a shoot like he taught us a lot no he was great i i miss him too yes i interacted with him all the time he always had some he was always throwing out some crazy stuff on facebook which was always fun to read but ace i kept you a long time thanks for joining us on the worst territory in the world uh you're a good friend and thanks for being on Hey, thank you. Uh, hope to see you in, uh, I don't know when the hell this plays, but uh, personally, I'll see you probably in about a week. Okay. See you, man. It's the worst territory. And there you have it, my interview with a longtime friend of mine, Ace Steele. And you know, when all this stuff about Ace hit the news in the last, obviously, year or so, uh, I thought he completely got railroaded. Ace Steele is an awesome guy. He's a completely loyal guy as well, and he does not do anything out of character for him unless it is completely warranted. And of course, if you've read what's on the internet, and I know this is true, 90% of what you read on the internet, usually hearsay or false, it turns out. I know it's shocking that not everything you read on the internet is true. But I'm sure Ace Steel is going to be a contributor to pro wrestling for a very long time. I've been a longtime friend also with his wife, Lucy Mendez. So it's great to still have friends that I can chat with about not only the past, but the current wrestling scene as well. I want to tell everybody I appreciate everyone that's writing me direct messages, emails about the podcast. It's been really fun to relive Uh, The glory days of Central States, Kansas City, like I said, then and now, because I enjoy talking Metro Pro and NWL in the Kansas City as well as the the old school Bob Geigel, Harley Race, Pat O'Connor era. Uh, I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to this. And, you know, join us over on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash worst wrestling. I've really enjoyed getting direct messages and emails from people telling me how much they like the podcast over there, or some people have been giving me tips on who to have on because they know some of these guys that used to wrestle in the Central States Territory that have Facebook pages or have jobs around the country, and I've already lined up several interviews based on that, so I want to thank you guys and keep them coming because I I still want to talk to anybody that ever spent more than a cup of coffee in the Kansas City Central States area. Anyway, thanks a lot, guys, for listening. I am Chris Goff, and this has been another episode of The Worst Territory in the World. We'll see you next time. It's the worst territory.